Well, good morning. What a joy it is for us to uh, worship together this morning. We, we pray every Sunday morning before we meet, we just pray that God will be present. We pray that we will experience Him because if we just do church without God showing up, which is very, very possible, it's just a religious waste of time. So we, uh, we've been praying that God would be here, and I think He is. Um, have you ever had a, a difficult circumstance? Have you ever had a trial or a decision to make and you didn't know what to do? Uh, maybe it was a difficult child, uh, you needed wisdom, maybe it was a difficult relationship, maybe it was a relationship you were considering pursuing, or, uh, or a financial trouble, and you had a decision to make, and you needed wisdom. Many years ago, um, it was probably 12 years ago, I was a contractor, and I was given a job by a fellow Christian to build a wall, and it was out of town, and so I went out of town, I had bid this job, and, and it was to build a block wall, and so... I got there and the job was about twice as big as what was originally on the plans, twice as big as what was planned, all kinds of troubles that weren't accounted for. Um, and what I should have done was gone time out and call the job off and start it over and rebid everything. But he was a fellow believer. He was somebody I trusted. And so I thought, okay, let's just go. And, and it was out of town. So I didn't have a printer, didn't have a computer, all that. So all the things you should do, like change orders and stuff, I didn't do. Um, so I did this job. It took weeks and weeks. And in the end, the guy stiffed me about $10,000. Yeah, so trial. <laughs> what, what do you do? Here's a tough situation with a fellow believer where I work really hard and I don't get paid, but I had made mistakes. You know, I didn't do it just right. What do you do? Maybe you've had some of those trials some of those decisions, and you wonder, what is the way to go? How do you make a good decision? We're in James. James chapter 1. Uh, you can follow along on the app if you have that, the Common Ground Carson app. Um, or you can follow along in your bulletin that you got or just grab your Bible. But James 1, we're going to be in verse 19. But to begin, he says in James 1, 5, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. When we lack wisdom, we're to ask God for it. And that's what we're looking at in these verses is kind of a follow up to that verse there. We lack wisdom. How do we get it? Now we're going through James. James, we've said, is uh, it's not deep like Romans. It's not wide like Hebrews. Uh, it's kind of a punch in the face. James, one out of every two verses is a command. James, the half-brother of Jesus, pulls no punches. He's all about right doctrine, know the right things, right theology, and then apply it. Here's what you should know. Here's what you should do. We could go through the entire book with that format. No, do, no, do. And he goes over that over and over. But today, we're going to see James talking about how to get that wisdom. James is, he's not a philosopher, only. He's not just a theologian. He's a pastor. And so he's, he's writing to these Christians that are outside Jerusalem now. They're scattered around. And he says, I want you to live the life God has called you to. And he, we've already seen, we've seen once before, and we're going to see again today, that that life brings blessing. James agrees with his brother where Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, come to me all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. James is taking those ideas and saying, this is true if you learn and do what it says, if you apply it. And so James's appeal really is that people will obey and receive the blessing God has, ultimately for God's glory. If we go too far in just blessing me, 
We can get into the health and wealth gospel, meaning we're pursuing God and religion so that we can get money, uh, we can have health, all those things, which God doesn't promise any of that, but he does promise blessing. So you can have joy in the midst of trial. You can have contentment in the midst of poverty. That's the blessing that God promises. So James is writing, this is in your notes, so that we will experience the Christian life as God has designed it. And he started here talking about trials because we all have trials. He says there's various trials, meaning relational trials, financial trials, health trials. There's trials and you can consider them joy because God is good. I mean, that's a huge theme in here. You can consider trials joy because God is good, loves you and wants what's best. And if you know that, then you'll go to him for wisdom and you'll do it his way. If we could sum up this, this book, it's about lordship. It's about who's in charge. If Jesus is in charge, we will respond his way, not the way our flesh naturally wants to respond. So today we're going to see how do we get the wisdom that God promises? Because we believe he's good. We're going to come to him expecting him to give. How do we get that? Look at James 1, 19 through 27. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word, from the world. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust you want what's best for us. Thank you that you are good. You are 100% good, not, not a little good and a little bad. Thank you that you are consistent. Uh, James, your, your half-brother, wrote that you are not changing. You've always been the same, and we can rely on you forever. We thank you for that. Uh, we gather here to meet with you. We gather here because you are worthy. And God, we ask now that you would work in and through us. Holy Spirit, you would convict us encourage us, fill us with joy, uh, help us to adore you more as we look at these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. So when life happens, what do we do first? When we have a trial, how do we normally respond when something happens? Flat tire, um, somebody slanders us, a kid lashes out. What's our normal natural response? Emotion, isn't it? Our emotions rise up and it's something. Maybe we ball tears maybe you know or maybe we get angry angry is a natural emotion response to a trial to being wronged and so paul or i'm sorry james here is in the context of trials goes to this he said okay trials things happen you might want to just lash out and respond don't remember ask god for wisdom and here's what you do first shut up 
That's what he says. Verse 19, know this, beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The first thing you do, zip it, throw away the key. If you're tempted to lash out, stop, time out. And it takes some maturity. It takes some time growing with Jesus. And I'm glad he's patient with us, especially if we naturally are anger, angry. We get angry. We lash out. It may take some time to learn this, but God is patient. But learn it sooner rather than later because anger causes trouble. So he says, be quiet. Stop. Proverbs 29.11 agrees. It says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Have you ever been angry and acted in your anger? Not a show of hands, but did anything good come from it? Did anything good ever come from your anger? Now, you may say, yeah, I got that person to do what I wanted. I manipulated this situation or I I intimidated somebody into something. But did anything really positive ever come out of anger? Anger is one of those responses that is the opposite of a godly, wise response. So instead of anger, we are to be slow to speak and quick to hear. A wise person is ready to learn, not just tell everybody else what they think. There's a big difference there. The fool lashes out. The wise is quiet and responds with wisdom. Remember, we believe that God is good. We can trust him. What does anger reveal? As we've been going through James so far, what does an emotional outburst of anger reveal? It reveals pride. It reveals selfishness, doesn't it? Because if you're trusting Jesus, if Jesus is on the throne of your life, if he is Lord, he is calling the shots. The first week we had the the video of the stool. You know, whoever's on the stool makes the decisions. If Jesus has the stool of your life and he's sitting on it making decisions and you're letting him, then your response is going to be quiet, wait, patient, ask God for wisdom, seek it. If we Lash out in anger, that means we're sitting on the stool. It means I want to be in charge. It means I'm worried about me. Anger reveals pride and a lack of faith. But remember what we talked about trials? Here's the thing about a trial. When we, even when we fail, that's a good thing because it shows where we need to grow. It's a good thing if we learn from it and go, oops, messed that up. God is patient and he'll work through that with us. But we are quiet. Why? Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We may be tempted to say, no, my anger was righteous. My anger, you know, got something accomplished. But James would disagree with you. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, you may be thinking, well, doesn't the Bible say somewhere else, be angry and do not sin? Yes, it does. And that's one verse. And there's about 20 or more that say, The fool is angry. Don't be angry. Now, here's the difference. You see Jesus angry. If you remember, Jesus went into the temple, his father's house, and they were selling things. They were making money. They had cattle where there weren't supposed to be cattle. And Jesus got a little bit ticked off. But what did he do first? He got quiet. He sat down and he made a whip. (laughs) If you read the story, that's what he did. He He made the whip. That takes time to do that. So he didn't just run and out... But he's hurt by what's happening to his father's house. God, the father, is being wounded. So he sits down and he's thinking about it while he makes this whip. And then he goes in there, starts whipping people, throwing over the tables. That was righteous anger, anger for God. That's, that's be angry and do not sin, be angry for that. Most of our anger, let's be honest, is anger for ourselves. I've been wounded. 
I didn't get my way. So that's what he means, the anger of man. If you're angry because God's name is being defaced, defamed, that's okay. Be angry for that and do not sin in that angry, but that's okay. But if it's about you, the anger of man, it will not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, we've got to talk about that word righteousness. This word uh, is, is um, we may disagree on how this word is used. The word righteousness can also be interpreted justified, the same Greek word. And here's a truth we need to get. The Christian is righteous based on the work of Jesus alone. So the way Paul uses this word righteous or justified, Paul likes to use this word saying, you are justified by faith. You are right with God because of Jesus' work. You are righteous because of the blood of the Lamb. Those things, we are right, meaning because Jesus died on the cross, He took our sin, His blood covers us over. So our filth and dirt is covered by Jesus. So when God looks at you, what does He see? Righteousness, because He sees Jesus. You are justified, same word, meaning like before a judge, God looks at you and says, innocent, not guilty, free to go into heaven. Justified, not because you're good, but because of Jesus. That's a truth you need to understand. If you're here and you're, you're not a believer, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, let me tell you this. It is awesome because it's not about works. It's not about religion. It's not about duty. It's not about giving money. It's not about attending church, although those things are good. It's about life with Jesus. It's about a relationship that God earned for us by Jesus' death. You are right based on Jesus alone. That's not how James is using the word. James is using the word the same way Jesus mostly used the word, the same way the Old Testament uses the word. Righteous, the way James is using it, is a life in line with God's holiness. That is righteous. It is a life that is lived out according to God's will. So this, I skipped this over, but this is in your notes. God views the believer as righteous because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's a huge truth that we need to know. And James knows that truth, but he's a little bit more concerned with after the fact, after you're saved, now let's see that righteousness worked out. Because this book of James is written to the believer. It's not written to the non-believer. He begins, he says, uh, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He says, um, count it all joy in verse 2, my brothers. He's talking to brothers and sisters, to Christians. So he, th this salvation is on, on faith alone, but then it works itself out. That's what James is concerned about. Um, and I think this is really pertinent to our situation in the American church because we have this tendency to go, I believe, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, I have my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven. James would say, eh. <laughs> if it's not lived out, if there's no change in your life, I would question that decision you made earlier. You say you believe, and, and uh, in two weeks we're going to deal with this very difficult passage where he says, faith without works is dead, so you'll have to come back. I'm not going to explain that today. But, but James is very concerned with after you've believed, after you're saved, now let God do his thing in you and change you. Righteous living is conducting one's life by the will of God according to his standards. That's what James is talking about. So how can we live righteously? Now, let me tell you, as a pastor, as a preacher, my temptation is to try and prove to you that this is the best way to live. That God's law, even Old Testament, God gave that law because it was best for his people, not because he just wanted to tell them what to do. The New Testament is full of commandments, but they're best for us. You know, every command that God gives 
It's because he loves you and he's best for, it's best for you. It's kind of like a parent now. We don't give commands to our kids if we're doing it right that aren't best for them. Don't run in the street. Why? You might get hit by a car. It's best for you. Don't pick up that scorpion. Why? Well, it might sting you. That's going to hurt. It's the same way. God says don't do these things because they're not best for you. And so he gives us these commands. And James says... We are to live righteously. So how do we do this? And now again, what I was saying is my temptation is to convince you that this is right. But there's something that happens when you give your life to Jesus. When you surrender to him, there's a change that starts to take place and you want what God wants. Even if it's small at first or even deep into your relationship, maybe it's small, but there's a piece of you that goes, I want righteousness. I want to walk in a way that glorifies God. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time convincing you that it's best, it's best. But you, if you belong to Jesus, there's, there's part of you that says, I want that. So now, if we want that, how do we get that? Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Put something away, put something else on. It's like changing clothes. Take this dirty shirt off, put this clean shirt on. What do we put aside? Worldliness, And he's going to talk about this more in the book. Put aside worldliness, filthiness, rampant wickedness. How often have, have Christians or people that claim to be Christians go, I believe in Jesus, but live like the rest of the world. I remember in high school, this is something we talked about. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I'm saved, but I don't want to be a Jesus freak. You know, I'm in, but I'm not all in. Well, according to James, he's saying go all in. That's why our shirts back there say all in. It's not like one foot in with Jesus and one foot in the world and we're hopping back and forth. That's double-minded. James talked about that. We are all in. So we put aside the filthiness of this world and then we do something else. We receive with meekness the implanted word. This is awesome. All right. So if you've tuned out, tune back in because this is a deep truth. We receive the implanted word. Uh, This passage right here was kind of set up before in verse 18. Look back there where James writes, of his own free will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So Jesus chose us and he brought us forth. He gave birth to us. New life gave birth by the word of truth. That's the word he's talking about here, the word of truth. That word is logos. It is is the word used for all truth, specifically divine truth as revealed in Jesus. Jesus was the living word. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by God and for God. Through Him, nothing was created that's been created. Jesus is the living Word. But then Jesus has given us this Word, the written Word. This Word always agrees with Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit to help us make that discernment. But what we do is we receive, we get the Word implanted. What does that mean, implanted? It's the same word as engrafted. So we had a pear tree that bore one pear. Um, But if we gave it more time, it was going to bear more pears. But this pear tree had five different branches with five different pears, five different kinds of pears. How do they do that? I don't know, but they do it. And in the end, the branches are grafted into this trunk and they grow in. And so you can't really tell where the, the, the branch stops and the trunk begins. It's grafted in. It becomes one. That's what he's talking about. We receive the word implanted. Uh, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. The new things have come. Something happens when we give our lives to Jesus. There's, there's this mel- melding 
of his life and our life. We receive the word implanted, meaning we get the Holy Spirit that indwells each of us. That's part of it. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And then we're also given this word, the written word. And the Holy Spirit works with that, that our life becomes entwined with Jesus' life. That's what happens. We receive the word implanted. Uh, John 15, 5. John 15, probably my favorite chapter in all the Bible. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the picture of us walking in tight, abiding unity and grafted with Jesus. But here, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about righteous living, living it out. So James says, receive the word implanted. You're given it, but you have to receive it. You have to live by it. Receive the word implanted. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to this. They had the the law, but it was all external. They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So they had these laws, which were good for them, and they would read them and study them and then try and do them. But they looked forward to a day when there would be a new covenant where that law would be written on the hearts of God's people. Jeremiah 31, 33. God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Looking forward to the day, which is now. This is awesome. We live in a better time than they did. You may think, oh, they had a prophet that spoke to them. Well, right now we have the law written on our hearts. And so... God uses the Holy Spirit in us and the written word. I want to look at Hebrews 4.12, talking about the written word. It says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's what he means by receive the word implanted. The Holy Spirit in us, working with this word, will open us up and do surgery on our souls. That's what God wants to do. And so this passage that we're looking at, we've titled it, How Does a Christian Approach Their Bible? The Christian in Their Bible. How do we come to the word? We have trials. We have tribulations. We need wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. Then we come to the word. How? How do we come to the Bible? What does he say in verse 21? Receive with meekness, the implanted word. Some of your translations may say, with humility. We come to the Bible needy, not weak, but meek. Meek is is self-controlled, power under control. Jesus was meek. We come needing what is here, with meekness, with humility. You come to the word going, I don't know everything and I need to know some things. God, show me. Meekness, the psalmist uh, said this well. He says, search me. And know me, O God, search my heart and reveal any anxious thoughts and lead me in the everlasting way. The psalmist, King David, came to God and he said, I want you to look at me and show me where I'm not in line with you. That's what it means to receive the word implanted with meekness. We come humbly. The way to live righteously is to let Jesus have his way in us. And we're coming to the Bible. We're coming to his word with that in mind. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, God cannot use a man or a woman until he has hurt them deeply and brought them to the place of surrendering their wills. I read that a couple times and I debated sharing that, you know, because it sounds like God wants to hurt people, but really God in his love and mercy will allow us to go through pain so we rev- he reveals in us our need for him. That's a good thing. So why can we count trials joy? Because they reveal our need for God. What a better place to be. There isn't a better place to be. We need God. Then we come to him and go, I need you. 
We come to his word going, I need you. Show me where I need you even. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Show me where I need to grow. In desperation, a person is ready to listen. They go to the word like a newborn babe to milk. Meek, needy. I heard a story about uh, George, who was it? George Mueller. I think it was Mueller. It was a pastor in the 1800s. And he was one of the most popular in England. Uh, and he was one of those that, that taught well. And, and his sermons would be written and then passed out. And other pastors in other places would re-preach his sermons. And one day there was a, a young pastor and he was preaching a sermon to his congregation. One of George Mueller's sermons. He was preaching this sermon. And at the end, um, a man came up to him with tears in his eyes and said, That sermon really spoke to me. That word really touched my heart. He said, Hugh, I... I'm George. <laughs> it was the man who wrote the sermon, the great pastor who had preached it, and here he hears it, and he receives it humbly. That really touched me because so often we Christians, pastors especially, but Christians been around a while, we can, we can listen to somebody else, whether it's preaching the word or talking about their, and we just judge them the whole time. Oh, you don't understand the Greek. Oh, you don't get this part. Oh, there's some theology you're not quite understanding. And we just, we just judge. We're critical rather than we... We come and go, what does God have for me in this? Whether that's from a preacher, whether it's from a friend, maybe, maybe somebody we consider a, an immature believer. What does God want to do through His Word? That's how we come to it, humbly, ready to receive. So often, if we, we study a lot and we get real knowledgeable and we grow in our walk and we think we've arrived. We think, oh, I'm mature. And you see this in, in, in churches often. James is saying, you never arrive. You always come to the Word humbly, ready for it to change you. But that's not it. That's how we come to the Word. But that's not it. Verse 22. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is no blessing in simply knowing God's word. The blessing comes from doing. You remember the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? And Ferris Bueller's best friend's dad had a Ferrari. It was awesome. But he, he kept it locked up in a showroom. He never drove it. And Ferris looks, he's like, what a waste. He takes the car out. He gets to go enjoy this awesome Ferrari. In, in many ways, the word, the gospel, life with Jesus is similar. We can give our life to Jesus and then just kind of keep it locked away somewhere. Or we can go out and drive it. We can use it. We experience the life. That's what James is talking about. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Again, there's no blessing in simply knowing God's word. The blessing is from doing. Spiritual maturity is often wrongly measured by knowledge. Wrongly measured by knowledge rather than by love. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That God looks at us and God's going to judge us in the end, not based on our knowledge. There's no SAT of Bible knowledge to get into heaven. We will be judged on our love. Meaning the word knowledge is good, but it's to produce in us something, Christ-likeness. So how do we do it? We, we are doers of the word. And he gives us an example. And it's an interesting example. He says, for the person who hears and doesn't do is like somebody who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they saw. So 
how do men and women look in the mirror differently? Men, typically, we walk by and just glance, we're like, yeah, pretty good. You know, carry on. But a, but a woman, so like this morning, before we came to church, how, how did the ladies go to the mirror? <laughs> you know, looking close, wait, is that a gray hair? Whatever. A woman goes to do business, right? A man goes and goes, both ears, both ears, good. Moving on. But a woman goes for business. That's how we're supposed to go to the word, to do business. As in a mirror, we go to the mirror, the word, reveal in me, and we look, and then we're ready to do something about it. Man, how often have you gone to leave the house and your wife's like, you're not leaving in that, are you? Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> I think it happened last Sunday. You're not going to wear that, are you? I was going <laughs> to. I don't think you should. <laughs> Women have more perception than that. For us, we should go to the word ready to change. So when it says, eh, you should change your clothes, we change our clothes. We don't go, eh, I'm good enough. We move on. We go to the word humbly, meekly, letting it reveal in us what needs to be adjusted. And we adjust it. Paul said, knowledge puffs up but builds up. Jesus chided the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find salvation. It's those that speak of me. It's not about just knowing. Knowing is great. We, know, we need knowledge, but it comes from applying it that we get blessed. Let me take a time out before we move on. What is it that you're ignoring? This morning as I was going back over this and praying over the sermon, I couldn't get past this point. It was like the Holy Spirit kept telling me, stop. What are you ignoring? Is there something, is there something that you have heard repeatedly that God has said to you through his word, through a Christian, through a spouse probably, maybe through a Christian friend, through a preacher? Is there something God has said to you and you're like, yeah, I don't like that part. I'll have the rest, but just not that one. Maybe you heard it again. Maybe you heard it again. Is there something that you've chosen to ignore? If that's you, you're like this person right here. And James says, don't be deceived. He says, you're like somebody who walks away and forgets what they looked like. You're, if you've heard that, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you, you need to, you need to act on it. You need to act on it. And I, I, it could be different for each of us. But what has God showed you that you said, I'm not going to deal with that? It's time to deal with that. Let him change you. There's two different words used here for look. The first one is a glance. The second one is a gaze says here, uh, if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. That's a glance. For he who looks and goes away is one who forgets what he looks like. That, again, glance. But verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, different word, gazes intently. He is the one who will be blessed in his doing. Blessed. Second time we saw blessing. Blessing is God's favor. Who doesn't want God's favor? That's blessing. Again, there's no blessing in simply knowing God's word. The blessing comes from doing. But what do we do? Not legalistic law, but he calls it something else. The law of liberty, verse 25. The law of liberty. God's word doesn't enslave us. It sets us free. When's the last time you were angry? Did you feel enslaved or free? 
When we, when we just respond with our emotions, we're enslaved by our emotions. The law of liberty, the law in Jesus, the free life, it is free indeed. If you're here and you're not a believer, let me just tell you, life with Jesus is freedom when we walk in that freedom. Freedom to be free from ourselves, freedom to be free from sin. What if you didn't really care what other people thought of you? What if you went to your social media and you weren't envious of how great everybody else's life was? That's freedom. That comes with Jesus when we seek to get everything we need in Him. He gives us freedom. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. That's life. Going to God's word, letting it change us. It sets us free. So we come humble. We sit meek. We leave obedient. And you'll be blessed. I, I, need, a, I need help. A kid, preferably. Is there a kid in here that... Grace? Come here, Grace. Grace? Come on. Mia. Come here. No, no just, just one of them. Okay. No? You want to help me? Come on, I need a kid to help me. <laughs> Jennifer, you helped me last time. But, no, but you're, you're good. Come here, Jennifer. You're a great helper. Come here, come here. Jennifer, do you like money? No. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the things money can buy? Yes. Like candy? Yes. What else? Toys? Toys? Like, if you had $10, what toy would you want to get? A horse. A horse? Seriously? Yes. What, what kind of horse? I don't know. You don't know? Maybe just go to the store and see what horses there are? Yes. What if I told you there was $10 hidden in the room and you could go get it? Would you want it? Yes. Right over there, there's a dish. There's $10 under it. You can have it. Really? Really. <laughs> You know it's there, right? No. Well, do you... you <laughs> so, Jennifer, I'm telling you, there's $10 under that dish. If you go get it, you can have it. Go get it. No. You don't want to go get it? No. Okay. Well, you don't have to. Are, are you sure? Yes. All right. Well, then go sit with your mom. I need another volunteer then. Austin, you want to help me? No. Oh, Grace wants to help now. Come here, Grace. You have to come here. Grace, do you like money? Sure. Sure. Do you like what money can buy? No? I don't know about you parents. <laughs> if you had $10, what would you spend $10 on? You don't know? Starbucks. Starbucks? Food. food? Okay, food. That's smart. There's $10 under that dish. You can have it if you go get it. The first one. Under the dish. There we go. Give Grace a hand. 
so you see, knowing it's there gives no benefit. Going and getting it brings the blessing. And the blessing really comes when you spend it. Really? I mean, money just sitting in a bank is no good. It's when you spend it that you get the blessing. In many ways, it's the same with the word. We know it's there, but we got to go to it. And then when we find the truths, we need to apply them. We need to do what it says. That's what James is talking about. I got to tell you, this passage is one of the passages that drove me to, to be a pastor, to plant common ground, to see people experience the life God has by doing what he says, not just by knowing. Now, he finishes this passage. We're almost done. He finishes this passage by giving us three examples, three measures of is the word having its right effect in our lives? Now, James picks three. Paul would probably pick some other three. Paul would say, check your giving. That's one. Paul would say, are you using the gifts in, in the church? That's another. James picks three different ones. He says this. If anyone thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He's talking to the churchgoer. He's talking to the, the Christian doing all the right things, but with a nasty tongue. You've probably seen this. Maybe you've struggled with this. It, it's, it's not congruent with the Christian life. If you think you're religious, if you think your walk with God is good, but you can't control your tongue, you're wrong. You don't have the walk you think you have. Now God is patient. Come to him and let him change you, but check your mouth. And it goes back to, uh, to anger. You know, he started this with anger. Do you lash out with anger? That is revealing in you a lack that God needs to fix. So that's the first one. But here's the second. Two more. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. So that's the religion God likes. This is religion that pleases God. God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. So here's the three tests. One, able to control words. And again, this is one of those things we go to God. We let him live in and through us. The second one, the mature Jesus follower shows mercy and compassion to the oppressed. Throughout the Old Testament and in this day and age, widows and orphans, those were the neediest of the needy. And so God consistently said, take care of widows and orphans. They didn't have the welfare system that we have now. And so a widow or an orphan that didn't have family, they were truly in need. And he spoke to his people in the Old Testament. This was a huge theme in the prophets. The prophets would come and they say, hey, you're all religious. You're going to temple, you're giving, you're doing all these good things. But on your way home, you pass the orphan there that's starving. You pass the widow over here that's, that's hungry and without clothes and you do nothing. Your religion is worthless. He says, I don't want your sacrifices. Stop giving me your money. Go care about the people I care about. The godly person letting the word change has a heart for the hurt, a heart for the broken, and then does something about it. Jesus quotes Hosea when he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If we are growing in him, we will have a heart for the hurting and we will love them. We will enter in. And then finally, we remain unstained by the world. He already referred to this earlier. He said, put away all filthiness. We remain unstained. Doesn't mean perfect, but it means we want to stay away from the defiling things of this world. The mature Jesus follower strives for godly purity. Strives for godly purity. So when that guy stiffed me about $10,000 and I questioned, what do I do? 
I spent time in prayer. Um, I looked at the word. I sought counsel. We could have gone to court. But the Bible says Christians don't take other Christians to court. It says, it says, isn't there anybody among you that could judge? And I read that and I said, that's good enough for me. God's word answered my question. What do I do? Do I take him to court? No. And then I was free. You know what I was free to do? Nothing. <laughs> I was free to let God handle it. And it set me free. Now, I saw that guy a couple months ago. And yeah, there was a part of my heart that went, <laughs> but God set me free. Not that he can judge, that he can handle it, that he can bless despite that. That's how we go to the word. That's what God will do in us. When we need wisdom, we come humbly, ready to listen, ready to obey, and he will bless. It's time to know and do. Now, if you're here and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, it's freedom. It's freedom. We're going to close in worship, and I would invite you, as we come up to take the Lord's Supper, as we come up to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, this is a time, if you're not a believer, turn your life over to Jesus. We're going to have people in the back available to pray. They've got name tags on so you can see them. They'll pray with you uh, or come up here, go to one of our prayer walls, and just pray on your own. Give your life to Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, let's remember what Jesus did. Let's celebrate that we are right with the Father because of Jesus remembering his sacrifice on the cross. But also, let's think about, let's open ourselves up to how God might want to change us to be more like Jesus. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, this life isn't about doing for you, but about being in relationship with you, and then you will do in and through us. Uh, Holy Spirit, part of the way that you work is this right here, right now. Part of the way you work is through your word and through your people convicting, using your Holy Spirit to convict, to show, to adjust. I pray that if there's anything in us that has been revealed, that we would submit to you, that we would let you deal with it, and that we would leave here joyful in our union with you. In Jesus' name, amen.